we are back with a new episode of Earning Their Stripes, the Fish Stripes podcast show dedicated to Miami Marlins prospects. I'm Eli Sussman. My special guest for this show needs no introduction, but I'll give him a brief one anyway. If you followed MLB prospects at all over the last like decade and a half, then I'm sure you're familiar with Keith Law, who is a longtime ESPN writer, now a senior baseball writer for The Athletic. He's the author of Smart Baseball and The Inside Game, both of which are available this holiday season wherever books are sold. I'm sure Keith would appreciate if you guys picked up a copy or two of each of those. Keith, I know you have a lot on your plate, both baseball related and otherwise, so I greatly appreciate you taking some time to hop on with me. Sure thing. I'm not cooking tonight. My wife is cooking tonight, so I have a little more time. Tomorrow would have been tough, though. Tomorrow's my night to cook. So I wanted to start with something that rewinding back to the summer when I was reading you online on The Athletic, you made a pretty bold statement in there that the Marlins system hasn't looked this good, their farm system, at any point in the franchise's history. Could you give us just the overview of why you're that bullish on what they have coming? So it's two things, right? I was being a little cheeky about it because the Marlins system has generally never looked good. Right. I mean, I think that's pretty true. Maybe in the first year or two, it had a moment. But I, you know, certainly since I started ranking systems and rank, writing up prospects in 2006, 2007, it's never looked this good. Um, and so that was a way of praising the system, but also kind of mocking their history a little bit. Like this, they've just never cared. Right. All they cared about was being cheap. And now that they've got an ownership group and a front office that, and, and frankly, I've made a lot of changes throughout that front office that, they really cared about building a farm system. The mandate, I think, was probably to build a better farm system. Hey, guess what? They built a good farm system, like a really good, deep, interesting farm system. So not only would I say this is probably the best farm system that they've ever had, I would also say that it's probably the most interesting in terms of the guys to talk about, too. It's not just a bunch of performance guys. They have a good mix of some performance guys and some athletes, too. So there's upside as well. Right. Well, you mentioned performance guys. Um, in terms of that, I don't think anybody could possibly be doing more at this very moment than JJ Bleday. Uh, as we're recording this, he's one for three today. So that drops his Arizona Fall League batting average from 400 to 396 in a little bit of a slump. But he, so he's interesting because for the regular season, he was, I think, a disappointment in most people's opinions at AA. And, um, but now in the Arizona Fall League, absolutely tearing it up about midway through that league you were out in the desert for a few days i know but did you get a chance to see jj when you were out there and i saw one game of him so not enough to make a judgment he was pretty awful this year you could defend him by pointing out that he went right to double a and that's something um there's you know you would not be wrong to say hey that might uh, be a mitigating factor here but at the same time, that's pretty inexcusable performance for a guy who was supposed to be kind of this polished and who was 23, right? He did play a little bit in high A two years ago, so we didn't get a full season there. This isn't like a guy who just came straight out of college, right? I, I have a hard time getting around what went wrong this season, and I do think that it comes back to, you know, we've had a lot of concerns about his swing going back to college. There is kind of a hitch in it. It is probably going to be difficult for him to repeat. And so I do think it's fair to, to look at the body of work in the season and say, Hey, maybe he's, maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. And I say, we, I'm not just picking on the Marlins here. I was part of the same industry that praised this guy. Right. 
And does the fall league so far, I mean, th- is there anything he could possibly do over these next couple of weeks that would like meaningfully change the way that you and other people should like project? No, no and that's, there's two reasons for that. One is just that hates hey, fall league, fall league numbers. It's an offense oriented league to begin with. They're playing at some slight altitude out there. Generally fall league numbers are very good and, and they're not that predictive, unfortunately. This year, especially though, pitching is bad. It's really bad. It was not great when I was out there. And I think Eric Longenhagen just tweeted something yesterday. Hey, please send arms, any arms we can possibly get. It's just, it's a bad league this year. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with A, sending a player out there or B and performing well. It'd be better to perform well against bad competition than perform poorly. And great for them to get the at-bats and to get the exposure. And for the, it's great for other scouts to see them. I see lots of good reasons for him to be out there. But I would not... Um, look at this performance and say that you know, feel like maybe this uh, uh, counteracted any of what happened during the regular season. Well, outside of Blade and putting aside the performance, the Marlins actually at the moment they have nine players out there with Will Banfield, Justin Evans, Evan Fitterer, Troy Johnston, Cameron Meisner, Josh Simpson, Jeffrey Yan, and then they as an entry substitute they send over Zach King the left-hander mm-hmm. as well. Out of that group, is there anybody that you're particularly interested in or feel optimistic about moving forward? Not, not really. The best prospects in their system were largely guys who just weren't sent to the fall league, um, which, you know, that's that's fine. They're making choices. A lot of guys were probably worn down by the end of the year or maybe, um, you know, they just hit some kind of workload target or maybe they just, just Marlins just decided, all right, it's nothing else for those guys to work on. So we're going to send them home. Some teams take the fall league a lot more seriously than other teams do. Some teams view it as extremely, um, you know, extremely valuable. They always want to send their players out there if possible. And some teams look at it as um, just kind of a waste of time. We don't want to send guys out there because we, because we can't, uh, we don't have the same kind of control over development of players. There, you have one coach on the coaching staff who's your own guy. Well, if you have a hit, if you were assigned to send a hitting coach out there, do you, are you less willing to send some of your pitchers out there because they don't get to work with one of your own coaches? That's true of some teams. I don't want to overgeneralize. I don't know if that's specifically true of the Marlins, but that's definitely a philosophical divide between certain teams in how they view the fall league. Right. I know earlier this season you had your annual column out about players that you wanted to see in person with each MLB organization. And for the Marlins, Peyton Burdick was that guy, same draft mm-hmm. class as JJ Blade, just a couple of rounds later. And he mm-hmm. ended up being teammates with Blade all throughout the season. Did you get your chance to actually see Burdick in person? Still never seen him. It's unfortunate. You know, because of the pandemic, I really limited my travel this year. I only flew one, two, three times for work this entire year. That would normally be like 12 or more times i flew once to vanderbilt once to the futures game and then fall league and that's gonna be it actually whether the winter meetings happen or not i don't think they're gonna happen for a lot of reasons i am not going to florida right now i mm-hmm. might be a long time for, i'm certainly not going to florida to be indoors right now right, maybe right. if we were outside i'll go out in the spring that's fine but i am not going to go sit inside right but speaking of burdick i was curious because he is I mean, he is a college outfielder around the same age as Blade, but otherwise they do have some pretty distinct differences in their style of play. And um, and even their timeline is a little bit different now with Burdick kind of seemingly closer to debuting than Blade. Do you feel strongly one way or the other about which of those two outfielders is like more likely to be in everyday regular at the next level? Well, you know, that right now, if you were probably betting, you'd, you might say neither, and I know that's not the answer anybody wants to hear, but neither of these guys hit 
much at all in double A. You know, in Burdick's case, there was lots of the good secondary stuff, right? He drew a lot of walks and he hit for power, enough power, I would say. You know, you hope there's more power. He gets another year or two older. But uh, whereas Blade didn't even do that, right? But neither of these guys hit for much average and neither had the contact rate that you want to see for guys their age, pedigree for that level. It's a little disappointing. And I would say if you're trying to plot out you're thinking about the possible outcomes for these guys. Like, yes, everyday player is still within the range of possibilities. Star is even still within the range of possibilities. I'm by no means ruling that out for either of these guys, but we're just thinking probabilities, right? A guy who hit in Burdick's case, 224 total between double A and triple A with lots of walks, a strong on base percentage, strong slugging percentage, but still that's you punched out 150 times in about 500 play appearances. It's a lot. That's kind of hard to, see that guy becoming an everyday player in the big leagues, unless there's a change, right? And players do change all the time. And the Marlins, this is not the Marlins of five years ago where players, you know, I think it would be fair for a Marlins fan to have been frustrated a couple of years ago to say, Hey guys, not only have we not drafted that well, but guys also don't get better in our system. I don't think that's true anymore. I think guys are getting better in the Marlins system. So maybe one or both of these guys does make some kind of adjustment to improve. But right now, based on age performance, what we know about these players, they are probably more likely than not to end up less than an average everyday player in the majors. And that would be disappointing. Right. One wrinkle that was thrown into it with both of those guys, actually, is they played a lot of center field this year. Mm-hmm. And I believe Burdick even more than Blade. But what probably at first glance, you you don't think either of them will stick at that position in the majors or even be able to fake Blade, I would Blade, I would say no. Right. Um, Burdick at second hand, but I would give him more a chance, more of a chance to do that based on what I've heard from others. Also, you know, we've have seen some guys who are not particularly elite runners turn into decent center fielders. So I, I try to be more open-minded now. I think positioning makes a big difference. I think, you know, a lot of the time it's, we got to see a guy out there. He's not fast enough to automatically put him in center, but you see how he reacts on plays. What's his first step? Like some guys do surprise us. Blade though, we've seen him a couple times now going back to college. I'd be really surprised. There is some minimum threshold of foot speed I think you have to reach to be uh, an average defensive center fielder in the big leagues. I don't think he reaches it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right. We're talking with Keith Law of The Athletic about all things Marlins prospects. One guy that I know you were particularly high on, at least earlier this year, even prior to this year, was Edward Cabrera, who made his major league debut in late August. And he stuck in the rotation down the stretch. In his debut, you know, his first six innings was some of the most thrilling six endings of Marlins season because they had so much riding on his expectations and he seemed to translate that pretty quickly. And then kind of from that point forward, in terms of the results, they just weren't there at all walking a million guys and um, some other underlying things that I'll bring up in a minute about him um, is how much, how much you take away from what was was his first six, seven starts in the big leagues and how it was kind of just ineffective. Not very much. I mean, like you said, it was his first couple of starts. He's only 23. He'd missed some time this year. Obviously, you know, 
what, eight, nine months, seven or eight months ago, we were worried about how much he might even pitch this year, right. if at all. So, and honestly, the jump from, and this would apply to pitchers and to position players, the jump from the minors to the majors, even from AAA to the majors now, feels like it is as large as it's ever been. I think the pandemic exacerbated that. I just think the caliber of play at the major leagues keeps increasing too, and it creates more of a gap. So when a guy jumps to the majors, a guy with this kind of ability too, jumps to the majors, struggles a little bit right away, it's okay. I don't get worried about it. It's only 26 innings. It's only seven starts. Now, if he has 30 starts next year and walks, I mean, you can't even extrapolate that walk rate, right? He would be in the minors mm-hmm. if he keeps walking guys at this rate. But if this is what he does in May, June next year, then I would probably say, okay, maybe maybe we need to reevaluate, or maybe he just needs to change some things, right? Develop this. Guys continue to develop in the major leagues. I am not particularly worried about him. Certainly, no more than I would any starting pitcher who makes the jump to the big leagues. Here, though, he gets the strikeout of Nimmo to start his night, and there's one away. Well, certainly taking a little bit of chase. This ball off the outside edge at 98 miles an hour. Nimmo thought it was too close to take. One particular thing that stood out to me about him is this changeup that I know you've brought up in the past, had the potential to be an incredible pitch at the major league level. And in this small sample, at least, you know that was actually the cause of a lot of his issues uh, for the six home runs that he allowed were on changeups. And kind of as advertised, it is a very firm changeup and a very fast one where it's only like four or five miles per hour of a differential in velo between that and his fastball. Um, and yeah, again, the bottom line results weren't great. He was getting some whip about it, but not like really as a put away pitch. Um, I, I was wondering if you could just speak more about like that particular type of changeup that he has, because it is unusual to throw it um, with that small of a velo gap between it and his heater and whether that actually will be successful in the majors. Yeah, I think people get a little obsessed with this idea. There's, there was, I know on baseball Twitter, as I was, if it's not 10 miles an hour separation, then it's no good. I mean, we, but have we not learned that we got to get rid of hard and fast rules like that? Like there are, there are a few that are true. Right? If you're a right-handed pitcher and you don't throw at least 88 miles an hour, you probably are not a big leaguer. There are some, like you must be as tall as this sign to attack the city, right? There's some barriers to entry that, that, do actually exist. But you know what? If this were a splitter, a true splitter and not a changeup, we wouldn't say that. Well, what if it functions like a splitter? If the hitters are deceived out of his hand when it comes out of his hand and if it has movement like a splitter, but it's technically a changeup, well, so what? Nomenclature isn't what matters, right? What matters is how our hitters reacting to it. And when you saw hitters um, in the minors, at least, and again, the gap between the majors and the minors is as large as ever. Hitters in the minors had no shot at that pitch. I wonder, was he, you know, always wonder, was he telegraphing it somehow? Uh, was he using it maybe in counts that hitters felt pretty confident that he was going to be throwing the changeup since they had an idea of what he was throwing? It is the pitch that is ultimately going to make or break him, right? That pitch needs to be more effective next year for him to turn into a number one or number two starter. And I think he could be a number one starter. The changeup is going to be a huge part of that, though. And if the changeup is not a plus-plus pitch for him, then he's just not that. He's something else. He may still be a starter. But that is the pitch that could absolutely elevate him into the upper echelon of right-handed starters. And do you have to like the Marlins track record, like in that particular area, right? In teaching guys changeups, helping them improve changeups. I mean, Sandy Alcantara is a guy that at least locally they like to draw comparisons between him and Edward Cabrera in some mm-hmm. like just some very basic ways, but also that Sandy this year, like his changeup improved more so than ever before. And all of a sudden he's yeah. he's his peripherals kind of take off with it to back up what people already thought he was capable of. Yeah, it's interesting. I went back um several weeks ago, was looking back at I had put Alcantara on my top 100 one year when he was still with the Cardinals. 
and it was a bit of a reach, but it's like, this guy's huge. He's 96 to 100. He can clearly spin the breaking ball enough, and he was pretty young. It's like there's enough raw material there. People can't see right. I'm gesturing wildly here. Like that's enough of a starter package, right? That that should it should be enough to say, hey, this guy's got some above average, maybe maybe you know better than that upside as a potential starter. But I was forecasting too. I was projecting on development of several of the secondary pitches. And it was really, it was sort of made me feel good to see. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And that's what he needed. Good on the Marlins, by the way, for doing that, for taking a guy who's, I will say when he was still a prospect, his pitching philosophy was just like hard, hard, harder to see him add a pitch that was, you know, that's a field pitch. That's a soft pitch. It can require some finesse to see him do that. It was the, I think kind of the last major stage in his evolution from thrower but one who obviously had upside as a pitcher to somebody who's a real pitcher now, like he has developed as, as a complete pitcher. He understands the craft more and you can just see it in the, in the stuff and in the results. And I mean, he is the one particular guy that at least in, in our community at fish tribes, people are very eager to hopefully sign him to a contract extension mm-hmm. before it gets too expensive. And before uh, only, only three years until free agency and they're already getting a little nervous because he is, in a lot of ways, uh, a really great example for their next waves of pitching talent. If, if you go really deep into the farm system, at least a couple of years away, uh, really the biggest breakout star of this organization would have to be Yuri Perez, who spent most of this year in low A, but mm-hmm. was surprised that he even started at full season ball as an 18-year-old. He spent this entire season at, as an 18-year-old. He finished yep. at high A. Um, the stats are ridiculous. And I'm, I'm me personally, I'm, I'm in a bubble where I don't pay a whole lot of close attention to guys across all other MLB systems, but I'm just struggling to find comps for somebody of his massive size, you know, six, eight, even six, nine with mm-hmm. mid nineties VLO with good control and doing it at consistently throughout a season at age 18. Is there anybody else like, like him in across the minors right now? Um, I mean, I think this is not a good name. Feel free to turn me off after saying this. But, you know, Forrest Whitley was kind of like this really huge guy who threw hard and had multiple pitches, which Yuri does. He's got a really good breaking ball. And I think the changeup's probably going to get there. I know it's a little bit of a platoon split against lefties this year. It was mostly in the power department. I, it's not enough to make me concerned yet. I, I think it's fair to call him a real three-pitch guy. And look, until Whitley got hurt, he looked like he was the best pitching prospect in baseball. So I would think of it more rather than think about where Whitley is today. Like what was Whitley after his first year in the minors? I think Perez is actually even taller than he is. The the worry you always have with any pitchers, I would say six, six and above. Um, and this is honestly just some anecdotal evidence from speaking to pitchers that tall too. They often talk about how much trouble they had repeat learning to repeat their delivery it is like not even just coordination but just basic body control I remember working with ben mcdonald i think it's six nine and he's just really freaking tall like the joke i was it's not even a joke i would sit next to him on a set at espn and his chair would be all the way down and mine would be all the way up and i still wasn't as tall as he was so that gives you some sense of just how big he was. And he said it wasn't until he was probably 23 or 24 that he finally felt like he had everything working the right way. And unfortunately for him, by that point, his shoulder was like hamburger meat and his career was kind of over before it started. But don't be surprised then in Perez's case, he is, oh my God, he's still 18. I actually thought he was 19. It might be a couple of years. There might be a few years where the command and control are just not what you want them to be. And that's 
fine. I feel like the developmental challenges for somebody like him, his size, it's it's keeping him healthy and just working on very basic things like coordination and body control so that he's already got the stuff, right? He's up to, I think, 97 or so. You're not worried about stuff. I'm not worried about stuff. It's keep him healthy and just let him work on command very slowly, gradual progress. They didn't have him throw that many innings this year, and I'm sure a lot of it was, oh, my God. This guy could be at the top of rotation at some point. Wrap him in bubble wrap. Right, do whatever we can do to keep him healthy. You want him to pitch a little bit so he gets better, but not so much that you ever put his arm at risk. Um, and there are a lot of people in baseball who believe the very, very tall pitchers do get hurt more often. I don't think we have enough evidence to say that, or I don't think he's tall enough. He's not six ten, right? Where suddenly your sample size starts to drop to you know it's, it's three or four guys. I, I'm not worried like that, but I can understand them deciding we're going to take the most cautious possible path with this guy recognizing his real value may come when he's may not come until he's 22. Right. I would say over the last calendar year for looking at last November until now, uh, there have not been a whole lot of celebratory moments for the Marlins. The one that sticks out is the hiring of Kim Eng. Like that mm-hmm. one moment uh, you knew it at the time, how significant it was and how really the entire organization was on a cloud for there was a nice honeymoon with the fact that they made that hire when they did and they had an opportunity to do so. And, uh, but as that off season or first off season, it was most of an off season with her in charge went on, Mm -hmm. um, myself and others were kind of critical of how conservative the team was and some of the decisions they made. And that kind of like carried into the regular season where just overall as a front office, it was, it was not really very impressive with the way that they handled on a variety of fronts in like, progressing in this rebuild a little bit further Mm -hmm. Uh, what's complicated is that there are other voices in that front office aside from her uh such as Derek Jeter the CEO some of the VPs as well have still have a Gary Denbo exactly Denbo's got a lot of juice in that organization and I've known Gary for a long time and um and I know a lot of people who've worked with him and my understanding is He's got a lot of influence there, and he has a direct line to Derek Jeter. I hope that does not end up undermining Kim Ang. I don't really know the dynamics of their front office right now, but it's something that I think um, I think everyone should be aware of, that this is a possibility, and we'll see how well this front office functions going forward. They're doing so many good things right now. It, you know, I hate to even bring up the possibility of dysfunction at some point, but eventually they're going to have to start making harder decisions, right? It's easy to just say, just get all the prospects, right? Collect all the good young players we possibly can. At some point that leads to tough decisions on extending a Sandy Alcantara, or if you can't, do you, do you trade him? Which I'm sure nobody wants to think about, but is that, that's a good example of a tough decision this franchise is going to have to face fairly soon. You're also eventually going to have situations where you have multiple players vying for playing time at just one position, Will they be able to come to a consensus? Will they have a unified voice? Will Kim Ng ultimately be the one who makes those decisions as she should be? You hope so. I really hope so. For Kim's sake and for the organization's sake. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and a whole lot coming up uh, for this offseason where uh, kind of by default they have to do something just because more so. And the big thing that they did is they they just they let a lot of contracts expire. They made some trades at this point where they have room. They have financial flexibility to, mm-hmm. to do things this offseason. Uh, just like last year, are you handling your free agent rankings for the athletic this year? Are those They up? will be up two days after the World Series ends. So you and I are talking on Tuesday. In theory, they could be up on Thursday. Um, otherwise, they'll be up on Friday. We're down to just two choices. They're already done, filed, 
ready to roll, uh, which is, you know, and then I was very glad when the Astros sort of gave me another day of breathing room too, if we have to change yeah. anything. So yeah, they will be up this week. Well, uh, so I imagine you have most of that list put together, most of those names in like the right ballpark. Who are the players there that you think are top priorities for the Marlins or should be top priority? Ones that are a reasonable fit position-wise and that um, fit with that timeline with the organization. If, if you had some influence over that, who who makes the most sense among those those players near the top of the list? Well, if they've decided this, really, that, you know, this comes to this is another major organizational decision, right? What is Jazz Chisholm? Now, I am extremely high on on Jazz. I have been for kind of forever, uh, and I remain so. I think there is way more to come for that guy. I think he's just going to keep getting better. I think his timetable may just be a little bit different from most players because he kind of came to the sport a little young, I, sorry, a little older than some. He did not, he was um, kind of green. That was the word I was looking for. He has less experience, especially playing at a high level than most players, particularly just comparing him to other international players because baseball in the Bahamas is not what it is in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. And I think we tend to, um, with a lot of the Bahamian prospects, we expect more from them at an age where we should be accepting they are, you know, hey, he's actually 20, but it's like he's 18 in baseball years. And that's going to be true of a lot of these guys. So, what what is Jazz Chisholm, and especially is he a shortstop? Because if they've decided he's going to be a second baseman or play somewhere else, I certainly think he could play center field with his speed. But if he's not a shortstop, then they should probably be in on the shortstop market because this is a really good free agent class of shortstops. They don't necessarily have to get the best one. Big spoiler: it's Carlos Correa. I don't think that surprises anybody. No, I think he's the best free agent on the market this winter. Could they? Sure, absolutely. It would be freaking awesome if they got that guy. A Puerto Rican superstar in South Florida who's a stone's throw from, from where he grew up. Absolutely. Sign me up. There's going to be a lot of competition for him. A lot of people think he ends up in Detroit. They have no shortstop in the system. They don't even have somebody like Jazz Chisholm who could be a shortstop. And they have money to spend and kind of the rest of the rebuild is coalescing right now. Now would be the time to go out and grab a guy. But they should be in on him. They should be in on pretty much all the shortstops or the shortstops they like, right? And maybe they end up with a Javi Baez, who is still very good, but flawed. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. He is a second-tier free agent shortstop in this particular class because this class is so good. But if they end up with him, especially if they end up with him and think they can do something, to, I mean, a tiny improvement in his plate discipline turns him into a perennial all-star. And this this Marlins club definitely looks at players and thinks we can fix him or we can improve him. That is a quantum leap over with this club where this club was three years ago. And that opens up a lot of possibilities too. So I think my general answer is go for the shortstops. My specific answer would be, Hey, start at the top. And if you don't get one of the guys at the top, fine, work your way down. But I would hate to see them walk out of this free agent market with, with nothing, and especially with no shortstops. They could add pitching. Everyone could add pitching. There's some pretty good free agent starters, but opportunities to add shortstops like these guys, it doesn't come around that often. And it may be that a Baez or a Trevor Story comes in a little bit less than they're really worth because there's just such a glut of shortstops available in the market this winter. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something that honestly, uh, some of us down here are afraid to even dream of them doing that because uh, they extended Miguel Rojas and uh, as as you mentioned, not only are you high on jazz, but the organization is high on him as well. Uh, I mean, Derek Jeter personally gives has given him his blessing of sorts that he's going to have a long leash to figure it out. So I, I would lean towards, I'd be a little surprised if I'd be very surprised. I'll say if they end up uh, getting any of those names you mentioned, but uh, if they do, 
uh, I mean, that's one thing that really does like jolt this thing forward. Mm -hmm. It's it would be the fastest way. I mean, it's, it's the Detroit logic. It's the same thing. The two clubs are not exactly the same. I think they're a little. It's fair to say I think they're a little further along, right? The Torkelson Riley Green. Dylan Dingler cluster of hitters is about to get there and they've already got the pitching there in the big leagues and reasonably healthy. Like they can look and say, we might be one player away from being at least wildcard contenders. The Marlins might be two players away or an extra year away. But the thing is that the free agent class is there right now, right? You can't defer and say, we'll sign a free agent shortstop in a year. There are something like six of them who could be everyday shortstops who have a chance to be above average players in free agency this winter. That may not be true. Well, it's definitely not going to be true a year from now. There may not be anybody like that a year from now. So this is the year to go out and say, we'll push. If we're a year early, fine. We will live with that because it means we have that core player locked up for the long term. And if that means Jazz gets, if Jazz is just a second baseman or just a center fielder, fine. It also just forces a decision on him too. Maybe that helps him just say, this is your position. We're not moving you around anymore. Just go hit. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's what we're hoping for. And you're not the first person to actually bring up that particular idea of jazz in the center field. That is uh, we've been like toying around with that based on the season that he had. But uh, I think either way, they're going to try very hard to keep him with a role on this team, just because if nothing mm -hmm. else, he is, he resonates with fans in a way that basically oh, nobody yes. else does. They absolutely adore him down here. He, he is a superstar type of person, right? And he's yeah. got, he has superstar tools. It's just, you know, it's a 303 on base percentage, right? It's hard to be a superstar like that. But I really think there's more to come. I don't, he is not, he's not Javi Bias. He's not somebody without an approach or whose approach is just see ball swing, right? There's more than that. And I think there's growth coming. Yeah, that, that's what we're all counting on for <laughs> sure. This has been Keith Law of The Athletic. Just a fantastic appearance here. Reminder, he's, he's got a couple books on sale this holiday season. And I uh, encourage you guys to check it out. And of course, to continue reading him, uh, the free agent rankings when they come out and all that off-season coverage as well. Keith, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure.